Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. All right, open up your Bibles with me for a few moments. I want to go to Luke chapter 2. I want to go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It's going to be an amazing day, great day. All day long, exciting month here. Luke chapter 2. Pastor Franklin will be with us this evening in the 4 and 6 o'clock service. It's going to be great. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to go to two places, read a couple passages of Scripture, and we're going to jump right into this. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. When you found it, say, I'm there. Luke chapter 2, verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swallowing clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now jump over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 14. Reads this way in the New Living Translation. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering began. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until, this, to the, to, until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among you. Among yourselves, for I will not drink the wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you walked in, you should have received a, a little communion cup. And in just a few moments, we'll be joining in and doing that and worshiping the Lord together with that. But I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning on this subject or title, the Christmas stable and the communion table. The Christmas stable and the communion table and how they are linked together and how one flows right along with the other. When you think about Christmas, the Christmas stable or the Christmas time, the Christmas time of the year, although we celebrate Christmas, but actually Christmas is a time that we remember the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They both have in coming, they both have uh, one common thing that they have is that it's both of them are times of remembering. We remember his birth. We remember when we sing the songs as we did this morning. You look around, the decorations even here in our church or in your neighborhoods or around the city, how things are beginning to be decorated and, and different types of uh, 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 um, decorations that are symbolic of the birth of Jesus Christ. You'll see nativity scenes, you know, that, that kind of resemble what happened during this time. But we do it because we celebrate, but we also remember the birth of Jesus Christ. But then when you think about communion, 
I grew up and I attended a small little church, traditional church, and they would have a table in the front. And some of you may know what I'm talking about, a little wooden table. And, and, um, and often the, um, they would practice or do communion, um, and they would use this terminology every first Sunday of the month. But on the front of that little wooden table, it would have these words carved into it. Do this in remembrance of me. Because any time you do, as even Jesus taught in the text, communion, it was a time of remembrance. And so when you look at the Christmas stable, he's saying, remember what I came. And then he, but then when you look at the Christmas table, he's saying, remember what I did. So I want to talk to you about those this morning. Because when you look at the stable and the table, the stable is where Mary laid her lamb. But the table is where the Passover lamb laid. When you talk about the stable, the stable represents Christ coming to us, but the table represents what Christ done for us. And I want to start talking, first of all, talk about the stable, Christ coming to us. Isaiah chapter 9 says this, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is is given. Notice the, 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 the theme of that text. Notice the focus of that text. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. In other words, the, the focus is us. When Jesus came into this world, he had one focus and it was us. Matter of fact, he said his name shall be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. When Jesus came into the world, when he was born into that little stable, into that manger, into that scene, there was one plan, there was one agenda and one protocol. He came for us. He didn't come for positions. He didn't come for titles. He didn't come for prestige. He didn't come for angels. He didn't come for devils. He didn't come for things. He didn't come for stuff. He came for one reason. He came for us. He came for you and he came for me. The only thing that was on his mind, the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. And when he came to us, he had a desire to heal us, to save us, to to deliver us, provide for us, cover us, keep us, help us, strengthen us. Come on. Has anybody in here experienced Jesus coming to you and providing help for you? That was his only reason why he came. From the time he was born all the way to the cross, his focus was us. You and I. His heart was set on us. Understand this. And he did not come to us just personally and specifically. But the text teaches us that he also came geographically and spiritually. What do you mean by that? The Christmas stable. Oftentimes when we read that story, we see Mary and Joseph and, and, we, we, and we read it and it's like, oh my God, poor, poor Mary and poor Joseph. Man, those guys wouldn't let them in the end. They were rejected. They just had to settle for a place to have this baby. And, 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 and with Mary and Joseph at the time, yes, it may seem like that. But you have to understand, prophecy tells us in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, tells us that the place that Jesus was born had already been prophesied before he was ever conceived in the womb of Mary. In other words, God had already chose the place before they ever got to the place. And when you think about the place that he chose, Mary and Joseph didn't choose the stable. God chose the stable. The stable was chosen years before they ever came to it. 
And when you think about that, look at the place that he chose. A stable. Of all the places he could have chose, he chose a stable. A nasty place. A dirty place. A filthy place. A place where animals and, 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 and nasty animals. And, and if you got animals, you know what come with animals. The waste of animals, the smell of animals, the sound of animals. A stable is a dark, it's a dark, nasty, dirty, defiled place. But yet it was the very place that God himself chose that this is where my son is going to come into. This is where this baby is going to be born. Why is that important? Because the stable represents our heart. Because they both have something in common. What do they both have in common? Because God, the, what they both have in common is that God has chosen both places to allow his son to enter into. He said, I want him to, in. he came into the stable, but also his target place. Is into our hearts. Ephesians, uh, to, uh, the scripture in Ephesians tells us that Christ came to dwell in our hearts, that we would be rooted and grounded in love. I don't know about you, but that blesses me, because the reason why it represents the stable represents our heart, because a heart without Christ is a nasty place. A heart without Christ is a dirty place. It's a dark place. It's a defiled place. It's a messed up place. But isn't it awesome that God said, even though I know it's dirty, even though I know it's messed up, even though I know it's full of rebellion, it's full of deceit. The Jeremiah actually said the heart is deceitful above all things, extremely wicked. Who can know it? Then it goes on. Jesus even said, he said, out of the abundance of the heart comes evil things, proceed lust and proceed murder and proceeds all kinds of idolatry out of the heart but yet regardless of the condition God said I still choose that place to bring my son into and I came to preach to people this morning to tell you it doesn't matter the condition of your heart your heart is where Jesus longs to be he wants to come in and here's what I love about it notice when they stood at the door of that stable they didn't say could you please clean it up before we come in could you please straighten things out absolutely not they stepped right in the middle of the mess and say we'll deal with it because that's what Jesus does he doesn't tell you to clean yourself up he doesn't tell you to get yourself right he doesn't say get it together before I come in oh oh does this world need to hear that message that we serve a Jesus that will meet you right where you are you don't have to get it right you don't have to get it together may we be a church that that's our message that we don't try to clean fish before we catch them but we just say come as you are Jesus will meet you where you are and guess what he won't leave you where you are and it's a matter of time you'll be further than you were when he comes into your heart he's not intimidated by messed up hearts the Bible said he heals the broken heart. 
The Bible said he'll create in you a clean heart. The scripture in Ezekiel said, matter of fact, if you got an old hard, rebellious heart, he said, I can deal with that too. I'll remove the stony heart and give you a heart of flesh and a new spirit. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is the greatest cardiovascular surgeon that ever existed. And you may came in here with a hurting heart and a broken heart, a rebellious heart and a nasty heart, but welcome, welcome, welcome. You're in the right place and Jesus will deal with that heart. Represents our heart. The stable, Christmas table, Christmas stable represents our heart. The baby coming in, Jesus coming in to our heart. But let's jump from the stable and let's get over to the table. It was a baby in the stable, but there was the body and the blood on the table. Jesus said in our text in Luke, he said he came with the disciples and he sat down and he said, let's eat the Passover. He was talking about the communion. He was setting it up and celebrating the Passover where they would take the bread and take the wine. What is he talking about? It's found in Exodus 12, where in the Old Testament, that they would take a lamb, the scripture said, representing the Passover. And what I want, to, want you to see is that, 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 that he was in the Old Testament, it was the lamb, the animal. But in the New Testament, the Bible said John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the lamb that takes away our sins. In Exodus chapter 12, when it talks about his body and him being the lamb that was on the table. They were given specific instructions. Are you ready? I'm going to give them to you really quick. The Bible said, go back and read in Exodus 12. I don't have time to do it. He said, first, you should take the lamb. And then next, it said, you should share the lamb. And then the third thing, it says this. It says, you should take it. You should share it. Then it said, they slayed the lamb. And then they ate the lamb. Let me jump through that. Notice the first thing. It said, they took the lamb. They took it. But what's awesome about that, when you read it, it said the elder took it. Or it says the male of the household took a lamb for his home. Mm-hmm. In other words, it was the man's responsibility to make sure the lamb was in his house. I want to talk to men this morning. The wife shouldn't do all the praying. The wife shouldn't do all the worshiping. The wife shouldn't do all the interceding and Bible reading. The wife shouldn't do all the giving. Come on. The wife, l- listen, according to the scripture, it was the man's responsibility to get the lamb in his house. It was the man's responsibility to set an atmosphere of worship. It was the man's responsibility to pray and intercede and be the king, priest, and prophet of his home. Not the wife begging you to go to church. Not the wife begging you to read your Bible. Absolutely not. They ought to see me with the lamb as a man all the time. They ought to see me loving on the lamb, worshiping the lamb, reading the lamb, hanging out with the lamb. It's a man's responsibility to set the spiritual tone of your household. Statistically, it's proven that when the man is saved in the house, 93% chance that the entire house would be saved. When the man is in his right place, let me go on. I love you, man. But we have a responsibility that we bring the lamb in the house. We cater the lamb in the house. We teach our children about the lamb. 
And next it said, take the lamb. But notice it says, share the lamb. It said, if, you, if your lamb is too big for your house, it said, go to your neighbor and share it. Share the lamb with your neighbor. My question is, when's the last time you shared the lamb with your neighbor? When's the last time you witnessed to your neighbor? When's the last time you told someone about the lamb? You told them about Jesus. You told them about the one who has saved you and redeemed you and set you free. No, 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 no. That's not the pulpit's responsibility. That's not the preacher's responsibility. That's not the pastor. That's what we tell y'all to do. That's what you pay Pastor Ben to do. Ain't he up there? That's what he's supposed to do. Absolutely not. Because it said, your house shall share it. In other words, everybody in that house, oh my God, is responsible at some point for sharing the lamb. Husband, you should share the lamb. Wife, you should share the lamb. Children, you should share the lamb. Can I tell you, we have got to get back that we're not afraid to share the lamb. People are looking for the lamb. People need the lamb. People are longing for the lamb. And all they need is somebody that will just tell them about the lamb. I've never been to Bible college. I've never been to school of discipleship. I hadn't been in church that long. But I tell you what, you do have a sermon. And your sermon is your testimony. Do you know what Jesus did? Do you know where you were before Jesus found you? And after he found you, what happened? You got enough word right there to set somebody free. If you would just use the sermon of your testimony and share the lamb. Who knows there's somebody waiting to hear your story. Somebody waiting to hear how you got set free from drugs. Somebody is waiting to hear how you made it through that nasty divorce. Somebody is waiting to hear how you used to be homeless an alien and an outcast and oh my God and living in a messed up life but now you have life and life more abundantly somebody needs to hear about the lamb share the lamb and he said I want you to slay it slay it slay it he didn't say dissect it he didn't just say kind of massage it and barely Slaying is a hard term. Slicing, slaying. It's representing what happened to Christ. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. He was slayed at that whipping post. He was slayed as he carried that cross through the Via Della Rosa. He was slayed left and right when they smacked him on his face, when they spit in his face, when they pressed the crown into his head. The lamb was slayed. And he was slayed in his body so that we can have a breakthrough in our body. Everywhere that he was slayed, we can claim deliverance. Everywhere that he was slayed, we can claim freedom and liberty. If he was slain in his head, I can have peace of mind. If he was slain in his heart, I can have a whole heart. If he was slain in his body, those stripes were for my healing. That's why I can declare boldly when sickness tries to come, disease tries to come, infirmity tries to come, I can stand boldly boldly and declare not in this temple this is the temple of the holy spirit he's already been slain for my healing and i declare sickness don't have any place infirmity don't have any place disease don't have any authority over my body because the lamb 
has been slain. He said, slay it. And he said, eat it. Eat it. And it said, don't leave any. Eat it all. Eat every bit of the lamb. We had a men's meeting not too long ago. And uh, we were discussing what we're going to eat. And one of the guys said, let's get Popeye's chicken. <laughs> Notice how I said that, Popeye's. Not Popeye's. No, you got to say it, country, Popeye's. All that run together. You don't break it down. Popeye's. That's how you say it. Somebody said, you want Popeye's? No, no, it's not Popeye's. It's Popeye's. Yeah. I said, we can do that. And I said, well, you need to make sure you order some breast. That's what I said. I only eat breast. Guy said, well, I only eat legs and thighs. I like dark meat. I said, I don't like dark meat. I like white meat. And I told the last service, I said, typical, typical discussion or argument with dudes. They're arguing over breasts, thighs, and wings and legs. I said, what are we arguing for? Just, let's just order enough for everybody. Well, I don't, I'm not going to eat those breasts because I like wings and thighs and legs. That's fine. Eat what you want to eat. I'm going to eat what I want to eat, and we're going to eat together. But I thought about it. That's what's wrong with the church, though. We forgot that this is a lamb, but we treat it like chicken. I want the breast of blessing but I don't want the thigh of correction. I want the wing of favor, but I, want, I don't want the leg of discipline and obedience. I want to choose and pick what I want, but I want to remind you, it didn't say worthy is the chicken. It said worthy is the lamb. And according to the scripture, I got to eat the whole thing. I don't care if you don't like breasts. I don't care if you don't like legs. I don't care if you don't like thighs and wings. This is not a menu. This is the whole counsel of God. You got to eat it from Genesis to Revelation. Even if you don't like it, just chew it. Hold your nose and swallow it. And I promise you, if it gets on the inside of you, it will change your life. This is the Lamb of God. You got to eat it all. That's what's wrong. We got too many breast churches and leg churches and thigh churches and wing churches. But I guarantee you, you walked up in the right church this morning. You're going to get the whole counsel of God. We're going to tell you he loves you. We're going to tell you his grace is sufficient. We'll tell you he'll heal you. But we're going to tell you hell is real. We're going to tell you sin is wrong. We're going to tell... Oh. Eat all the lamb there's the body but then here's the last thing here's the blood baby in the stable body on the table blood that will be poured out Bible says this it says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins the word remit means to send away, to release, to dismiss, and counsel out. When it talks about remission of sins, naturally speaking, the first act of the blood in our body is to remove all waste. 
That is the first thing the blood of Jesus wants to do or does when it comes into your life. It removes all the waste. I want to tell you, I don't care how our lives can be stained with sin. The blood of Jesus is the ultimate detergent that can go deep and wash it all away. He said, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you white as snow. I am he that blotted out thy transgressions and remember them no more. The blood will so cleanse you that it will look like it was never there to begin with. It's remission, but it took the shedding of blood. But then the scripture said, not only does the blood brings remission, but it also brings redemption. Because the Bible said that it was the precious blood of Jesus. We have not been redeemed with corruptible things, but we have been redeemed with the precious. We heard a whole great message by Pastor Ben a couple on the precious. It's the precious blood of the Lamb. It means it was the only currency that was acceptable to buy us back from the clutches of darkness and sin. The only thing that was deemed worthy to pay the price to pull us off from under the taskmaster of hell. The blood of Jesus was paid to redeem us. And let me tell you something about redemption. When something is redeemed, it's bought as is. Have you ever bought something as is? In a store, there's a clearance rack or there's a clearance section. Only a big red sign says clearance or sale. And you walk over there and, and, and you find stuff and it says, or especially like in furniture places, they'll put a sign, you know, as is, sold as is. And what they're saying is, is you can buy this, but you got to buy it in the condition that it's in. And sometimes there's cracks on it. Sometimes maybe a knob is missing. Sometimes a mirror is cracked or a leg is missing or there's some scratches or whatever. And when you buy it as is, there's no warranty on it and there is no return policy. So when you buy it and you walk out of the door, it's yours. So as a buyer, I'm taking a risk. I'm taking a risk with this merchandise. Because I know once I get it, it's mine. And I can't take it back. But see, the thing about most people that buy things as is, they don't see it for what it is. They see it. For what it could be. And they understand that in the state that it's in, it may not be what it could be right now, but I have the ability in me to make it what it could be. And so when you talk about redemption and the blood, Jesus bought you and I as is. He bought us with our cracks. He bought us with our knobs missing. He brought us with our failures, our flaws, our frailties, our insecurities, and all of our mess and dysfunction. And he said, I don't mind buying you as is because I know I have in me to give you everything you need to be. To, oh God, to walk in what I created you to be. He has the power to buy back. And that's biblical restoration. Not getting you back where you were, but getting you beyond where you were. A couple of things. We're going to wrap it up. Remission, redemption, and reconciliation. Let me give you that one. They can come to the music. 
Reconciliation. The Bible said we were reconciled through his blood. See, redemption buys you back. Remission cleanses it away. But when you look at reconciliation, it restores you beyond. But what's interesting about reconciliation, when you look it up, it says to reestablish two opposing parties, bringing them back together as one. Now think about this. Two opposing parties that had nothing in common, but yet were being able to be brought back together and become one. Think about this. Anybody ever had some salad, like, like, like let's say like a, a, a vinaigrette salad dressing, and sometimes it's oil and vinegar. When it sits, what happens? The oil goes to the bottom. And before you can use it, you have to shake it up. But even after you shake it up and use it, if you let it sit, it separates again, right? Because the ingredients on the inside are not designed initially to go together as one. So they keep separating. They keep separating. But then you take something like mayonnaise, which is a type of salad dressing, Miracle Whip. <laughs> Roll with me. I say what pastor says, this is my sermon, I can preach it like I want to. But it's called a salad dressing. But notice there's no separation in mayo. It's all together. But technically, it's made of oil and water too. But there's one thing that's different. It has eggs in it. And watch this. You know why it has eggs in it? Eggs is what they call an emulsifier. An emulsifier is a substance or an item that is able to penetrate two opposing items but yet bring them together as one. So in mayonnaise, the difference between the oil and vinegar is that it adds eggs. And when you put the emulsifier in it, the eggs penetrate the oil, the eggs penetrate the water, and then it brings them together as one. And now you got one thick, yucky substance. And the point I'm telling you, that's what the blood of Jesus is. The blood of Jesus penetrated sinful, filthy man, but yet extended his hand into holy heaven to the Father. Able to penetrate both, but yet in him we become one with the Father again. He is the only way. He is the only truth. No man can come to the Father except by him because he's the emulsifier. And today as we remember and celebrate, remember the stable and remember the table, let's not forget, yes, the baby that came, but let's remember also the price that was paid because that we had the stable so we could get to the table but the whole reason of the stable was to shoot Jesus to the table that he can pay the price that you and I might have life and life more abundantly. And so today, as we, just a moment, are going to take communion. I don't want you to ever look at it again. I don't want you to look at the stable again. Every time you see a Christmas decoration, every time you hear a carol, I want you to say, oh God, I remember the stable. 
Not only the table, but I also remember the table. Don't just go through this season and get caught up in all the things and stuff and parties and all that stuff is great. But the worst thing as the church we could do is just slide through Christmas again and forget what this whole thing is all about. Yes, get together. Yes, have fun. Yes, open gifts and do all that you need to do. But I encourage you at some point, not just on Sunday, pull yourself away and throw your hands up to God and say, Lord, I thank you for the stable and the table. Where would I be without the stable and the table? Stand to your feet. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please, no one leaving and no one moving. This is the most important part of the service. In a room this size, there are people that have walked in this door this morning who's dealing with heart conditions. Your heart is not right with God. Your heart is far from God. Or maybe there's things in your heart that has kept you from walking in a real relationship with God. But the message to you this morning, he chooses stable conditions. He looks for hearts to come into regardless of the situation. Maybe your heart is broken this morning. Maybe your heart is hurting this morning, overwhelmed with life. And you feel hopeless and you feel helpless and, 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 and you've tried so many things to try to bring security and, 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 and hope and comfort in your life. But yet everything you tried positions, you tried people, you tried uh, uh, possessions, you tried all the things of this world, but yet you still come up short. I'm going to tell you why you always will. Because there's a built-in void that only the presence of God can fill and satisfy you. And he's saying this morning, I don't care what the condition of your stable is, your heart is. If you'll let me, I'll come in. If you let me, I'll come in and heal. I'll come in and save. I'll come in to deliver and set you free. I'll come in and give you life and life more abundantly. That hope you've been looking for, that help, that comfort, it all comes as a package deal. When you get me, you get it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. 